Join us now on The Collector Show with Harold Nickel. Hi, and welcome to another week of The Collector Show. I'm Harold Nickel. Later in the program, an interview with one of the most interesting people I think we've ever had on Andrew Automatis. He is from Great Britain. You'll be able to tell that immediately by his accent. But he is associated with a website called toycollector.com. And they have incredible information to share about collecting toys. And probably the biggest resource of any hobby we've ever talked about on this show coming up in the interview segment. And then, sticking with the toy theme, our friend Heather Gallegos with the Found Collectible of the Week. Heather is going to be talking to us about Legos, and they're the little bricks that you stick together. People collect Legos, and she has a lot of information I think that will surprise you about not only collecting Legos, but about who collects Legos. So stay tuned for that. Next week, we're going to talk about comic books with one of the premier comic book raiders, graders, and collectors anywhere. Next week on The Collector Show, comic books. First, as always, the news. Sticking with our European theme, our guest, Andrew Automatis from the UK. This story is from Central Europe, specifically from the Croatian Times. It's about a man who collects pens. And you remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about collecting pens, but this guy collects a certain kind of pens. He collects newspaper publishers' ballpoint pens. Joaquin Clara, 45, from Palma de Mallorca, has collected over 700 publicity pens from newspaper publishers in 26 different countries. A press distribution company employee, Joaquin Clara started to collect the newspaper publishers' pens 20 years ago. Some of our customers gave their pens to us, and once I had a few, I thought it would be great to start collecting them, and that is how it became a nice hobby, he told the Central European News. He further said, I never use any of the pens and really don't have a favorite. Of course, some are more beautiful than others. For example, the Washington Post, and another one I hope I can pronounce this, Diario de Baleares, a local newspaper in Mallorca, when it comes to British newspaper pens, Joaquin Clara said, my favorite pen from the British press is the Daily Mails. The Spaniard collects most of his pens through email correspondence via the internet. And I think what he does, and I've heard of this before, is he'll write to them and ask them to send him one. I've had that happen uh, to me in my, in my day job. I remember a guy who collected keychains once wrote to me and asked for keychains. We didn't have any. But that was the way he collected, and that was in the days of snail mail. How many birdhouses can you collect? Well, there's a woman in New Athens who started collecting birdhouses eight years ago, and she has about 57 different birdhouses. But here's what's remarkable about this. She started collecting them when she was 80 years old. Never too early or too late to start a collection. She started looking for them, and there's a photo of them and they look much too nice to hang out in the yard. And most of them she has are not in her yard, they're in her sunroom. 80 years old, started collecting birdhouses. Take note. Now, you know, another thing we've talked about on this program is specializing in certain kinds of collecting. And we've talked about in coin collecting, don't just 
randomly collect different kinds of coins. That's just called change. Collect, you know, state quarters or gold coins or commemorative coins. And the same thing for sports cards. Don't just collect baseball cards. Collect a certain team's cards or collect a certain player. Well, there's a man in Dallas, Texas, who I think epitomizes what we're talking about when we talk about specializing in collectibles. He has specialized in collecting stamps with the image of Abraham Lincoln on them. His name is William J. Ainsworth, and he started collecting images of President Lincoln in 1977. And over the next 32 years, he amassed a collection of stamps that numbers over 10,000. 10,000 different stamps of Lincoln. Remarkable all by itself, even more remarkable, the collection is valued at more than $2 million. And they were going to auction it off. I don't have the results of the auction here with me, but, you know, I think that really sums up the point we make on this program all the time is, you know, like I said about coins, don't just collect change. Collect a certain type of coin. Collect a certain type of card a certain type of birdhouse or a certain type of pen. And it's interesting also, speaking of uh, the pen collector, you know, when we talked about pens a few weeks ago, the man that we spoke to collected fountain pens. The guy we talked about this morning, or today, rather, morning here where I am, talked about or uh, collected publisher's pens. So specialize in a certain type of collection. I think you'll have a lot more fun with it, develop special kinds of knowledge about your hobby, and maybe, like the man in Dallas, Mr. Ainsworth, end up with something very unique and also very valuable. Okay, that's news from the world of collecting for this week on The Collector's Show here on Web Talk Radio. Stay tuned for the interview segment coming up next. Andrew Automatis and ToyCollector.com. <laughs> It's the interview segment of The Collector's Show this week, and we have our very first international visitor to The Collector's Show. Andrew Adamides is with toycollector.com, a site that is from the UK. And Andrew, welcome to The Collector's Show. Thank you very much. Now, one of the things that people are going to be interested in, first of all, is your website. Tell us the address and um, give us a little background on what we'll find once we get there. Well, the address is www.toycollector.com, and it's basically a community for collectors of toys of all varieties, um, vintage, antique, and modern. And basically, there's uh, chat forums, blogs, videos, uh, galleries, pretty much anything that you could want in order to uh, put your collection out there on the web, find like-minded people to talk with, um, talk about, read about watch it's a whole community so um it it is really a virtual community of people who are interested in collecting toys that is correct um we what we wanted to do was sort of create a social networking site for toy collectors the world over Mm -hmm. with um all the features you'd find on a myspace or facebook but geared specifically toward toy collectors. So we have things like uh, galleries where you can create a 
large gallery of your collection or similar and um features which are sort of specifically geared towards that towards the collector uh-huh it does sound a little bit like facebook in that you mount or uh post photographs of your toys yes it, it's a little like facebook and a little like myspace but it goes a little further as well because we also have toypedia which is uh sort of like wikipedia but it's all about collectible toys and basically what that is is it's um it's a uh, community could all contribute to it mm-hmm. uh, it's wiki based and we intend that it will eventually cover all vintage and collectible toys that have ever been made um and it will be updated consistently by members of the community so you get it's it's really we see this site as sort of being a one-stop hub for the collecting community with right. resources um information resources and social networking and ultimately there'll be a marketplace as well now who are the people who collect toys is there any set population of people you've encountered or is it just all over the map <laughs> it's interesting there's a lot of different people um primarily I guess I guess it really depends what which, which sector you're of the which of the collecting community you're looking at because mm-hmm. people tend to collect the toys they had when they were children. So what we see a lot of is people who are in their 30s upwards. Mm-hmm. Um there's a split there's split, it's split pretty equally between um uh, women and men. Um guys tend to collect uh, toy cars, um construction toys, um Uh, action man things like that whereas women tend to collect dolls because people do or soft, soft toys um things which people tend to collect what they have when they were little um collecting generally generally collectors start collecting when they're in their sort of 30s mm-hmm. because you tend to have slightly more disposable income then and often they have families and when you start having families you sort of want to show your kids the toys that you had when you were little yeah and so start building collections then that said we have a lot of young collectors as well i wouldn't want to neglect them sure um people in their 20s who like sort of they 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 tend to like things like uh custom cars um that sort of thing i started looking for a certain toy last week um that was popular in the mid 1960s here in the US and it was he his name was major matt mason and i found your site while I was looking for Major Matt Mason and he is listed there but I think what you say is exactly right that I know for people my age I'm uh, I just turned 50 but I've got a couple of extra dollars to spend and I'm interested in having the things that I had when I was uh growing up in the 1960s and early 70s so I think that fits who most of the collectors we encounter on this program are I think it really does I mean it's I know personally I when i was a kid and i know that a lot of people i played with my toys obviously and mm-hmm. a lot of them wound up getting broken and thrown <laughs> away and so it's a case of oh i want to replace those yes absolutely you're listening to the collector show i'm Harold Nickel and we're talking this week with Andrew Adamides i hope i said your last name correctly you did yes you did all right Adamides. good for me <laughs> and he is with toycollectors.com which is a huge social networking resource for people who are interested in collecting toys. Now, um Andrew, are you a toy collector? Uh yes, I am. I collect toy cars. You you collect toy cars. Now, I don't know if you have have these in the UK or not, but we have Hot Wheels cars. Do you have yeah. those? Yeah, we do. There must be 100,000 different kinds of 
Hot Wheels cars that have evolved over the years. And I still, I know, I have a pretty good idea where they are. I think they're at my uh, parents' home. But if we were looking at, say, Hot Wheels cars from the from the mid-1960s, would they have any monetary value? Uh, yes, they would. Um, Hot Wheels cars, there are, you're quite correct, an infinite number of variations on them. It's unbelievable. We've just, we've just started adding uh, Hot Wheels to Toypedia with some of our volunteers, and it's, it's a mammoth undertaking. Early Hot Wheels cars can be worth very large sums of money. Okay. Um, they need to be in pr- as close to perfect condition as possible. Mm-hmm. If they're still on the card, they can be, that's even better. Mm. Um, most of them aren't these days because they, they've been played with, obviously. Yeah. But um, no, they, they can be worth very large sums of money, several thousand dollars in some cases. No kidding. Um, the, I mean, the, the most expensive, uh, you, know, you can see on the side at the moment, the most expensive Hot Wheels ever sold for, um, oh, was it, I believe it was $30,000. Wow. Um, that was for a prototype rear-loading beach bomb in pink. And that is the, the holy grail of, holy, of, um, of Hot Wheels collectors because they started to make it and in, in, in in 1968, and then they discovered that it was slightly too narrow to run on the track. Uh-huh. Um, so they redesigned it and made it so that the surfboards, which are going to stick out the back, stuck out the sides. Uh-huh. And there are only 10 or so of the rear loading ones known to exist. Oh, wow. So that's the ultimate thing for Hot Wheels. Actually. Now, I had, I had that car, but it was orange. It, yep. it wasn't pink. And it was likely that, you, that your surfboards went in the side. I think I don't really remember the surfboards, but I remember that that's what the car was for. Yeah. Um, all right, um, I'm going to be visiting my parents soon. I have uh, <laughs> I have something to do. Definitely do. <laughs> have to get my old Hot Wheels cars out of the out of the family attic. Now, if I wanted to start collecting Hot Wheels cars, though, I don't think you you wouldn't want to start with uh, a thirty thousand dollar item. You might want to start smaller. What's a good way to start collecting Hot Wheels? Well, I think a good way to start, a good way to start collecting anything is to um, read up on it so you, you know what's out there, what you need to look, what you're looking for, um, and what to pay for things. Because really, um, novice collectors can often pay over the odds for stuff. Mm-hmm. It's a shame when it happens. So a good way is to check out something like Toypedia, where you can read about what's, what's in the range, um, find out when stuff was made, mm-hmm. how long it was made for, um, and look at values, and then really sort of decide whether if you want to try to collect every model that was ever made, or if you want to just go for a certain type, like um, the 67 Camaro they made in the first year, mm-hmm. um, which they've reissued many, many times over the years. I mean, you can have a fantastic collection just of that model. Um, so decide, decide really sort of what, what, know your subject, decide exactly what you want to collect, mm-hmm. and then... Um, look at prices and then start collecting. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I was, uh, when I was looking at Hot Wheels cars, I guess last week, the thing that really caught my attention was just how many of them there are. There's hundreds. There are. There there are a very, very, very large amount. Um, and obviously, if you want to collect every single one, you're looking at spending a lot of money. And yeah. um, it's going to take up a lot of space as well. So you need to have a big house. But um, <laughs> there's, uh, I mean, there's uh, there are a lot of sort of a lot of the uh, Hot Wheels cars were generic. Which mm-hmm. They were designed by um, Hot Wheels designers themselves. 
some people, for example, will only collect the models of real cars, right? Or only a certain make of real car, and so it, it, it's a good way to it's good to, it's good to have limits because that way, if you just collect everything, it can get overwhelming very quickly. Well, now the other one that I remember having, um, and this was back about 1968, was it had a bubble on it. Are you familiar with that car? Oh, that's the silhouette. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a good one? That is a good one. I mean, I believe if I remember rightly, that's actually that's not a generic. It's based on a George Barris design, I think. Okay. Um, so that's a uh, that, that's actually a model of a real custom car because, of course, that was the era when custom cars were just everywhere. Oh, sure. Um, and in fact, uh, Hot Wheels' first ever designer um, was a was, was a designer of real life custom vehicles. The um, the Hot Wheels custom fleet side is actually based on his um, his his own truck, mm-hmm. which was based on a '64 um, Ford or Chevy. I think it was an El Camino. Um, so there was a very heavy influence of that in Hot Wheels. There always has been. I mean, even now they they still tend to make the new ones with um, jacked up rear ends. Oh yeah, yeah they do. Uh, they had the rear the rear. Uh it wasn't a spoiler, but I remember the explanation was that that was somehow supposed to counteract the G-forces that went to the back of the car. That's right. Yeah. Hot Wheels have always been designed, um, or they were at least in the beginning, to run on track sets as well. Right. That was a very big um, big part of the marketing, because up until then, um, Matchbox had pretty much had the whole 164th scale die-cast car market oh, yeah. themselves. Yeah, I had those too. Yep. Those originally had what, what were now referred to as regular wheels, which had thick axles, so they right. didn't roll very fast. No. And the reason that Hot Wheels became so popular was because that because they rolled really, really fast because they had thin piano wire axles. So you could use them on a track set, and they could they would race along. And um, this that actually revolutionized the, the whole die-cast car industry because virtually everybody had to switch to, to similar wheels. I mean, Matchbox went from um, regular wheels to super fast, which was their answer. Now, the, I remember that they had a thing called a supercharger, and it was these two spinning foam discs that ran on batteries, and those propelled the Hot Wheels car around the yeah. track. Yeah, they had a lot of stuff like that. I mean, they had things like sizzlers, which were which had motors in them, which you, you charged up, and then they would race around the track by themselves. I could never get uh, the configuration right, because you're supposed to be able to have two loops of track going at once and you raced the cars on separate tracks and I could never get my cars to go I, I could just n- never get it sorted out so that um, you'd get two tracks. Now I could get one track going pretty good but you can't race on a single track. No. It, it's funny cause I think a lot of it's not just Hot Wheels, a lot of track sets um, they, the, the idea tends to be a little better than the actuality. Oh yeah. Um, it, it looked good in the commercial. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they look great in the commercial, but when you get down to reality, it tends not to work quite so well. No. Matchbox had a product called Matchbox Motorway, which was uh, not exactly a track set. Basically, it was a, a roadway, and you could um, stick a little pin on the base, on the bottom of your Matchbox car and mm-hmm. plug it into a into a slot. And it was designed to turn any die-cast car into a slot car, and then it would drive around by itself. Oh, how much fun is that? Now, we um, haven't talked about slot cars, but I remember those were very popular in the late 60s, early 70s. They were, and there's, there's still a very, very big slot car market out there. I'll be. Um, 
there's a lot of uh, American stock horrors, uh, British stock horrors, Scalex, early vintage Scalex trick is worth a lot of money now. Wow. Um, there's a lot of collectors of stock horrors out there. It's the Collector Show with Harold Nickel. We're talking this week about toycollectors.com, a huge website and resource for people who collect all different kinds of toys. Now, what are some of the other more popular things that you see people visit on the site other than the other than the Hot Wheels and the Matchbox cars? Well, right now we're seeing um, we are seeing a lot of um, a lot of diecast. Our diecast community has grown very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, people are very interested in model kits. Oh yeah. Um, Blythe dolls is our is one another one of our big areas. Uh, those are very popular. Um, and let's see. I think prob- probably those and also especially in Europe, vintage teddy bears. No kidding. Um, Spice bears, things, um, sort of toys like that are very, very desirable and widely collected. Yeah, people who might not know, uh, Stife is a very famous uh, stuffed toy manufacturer and very high quality stuffed toys as well. Yeah. And um, I guess it never occurred to me that uh, there'd be people that collect those, but I guess the thing we've learned on this show is that people collect just about everything. So, people do collect everything. Um, I mean, even. Uh, we also have a, a small but growing community dedicated to marbles and uh, vintage board games and stuff like that. So no we, kidding. We everything. We really do. Now, what inspired you uh, and your colleagues to take on something as massively ambitious as Toypedia? Well, really, what we wanted to do was uh, centralize, uh, create a sort of central centralized reference guide for people because you can buy a lot of books on the subject mm-hmm. on every subject in the toy collecting world and you can buy price guides but the problem is that they go out of date within a couple of years mm-hmm. and um, things change and so people can people have to keep having to buy a new book every year and well well it, it's great that if you I mean obviously it's great to buy books which with, with a lot of illustrations and things like that where you actually enjoy reading the books well when you're looking at a price guide it can be a little dull and mm-hmm. having a huge pile of them is um is, is difficult to store right it gets expensive and um also as i say they go out of date very quickly and sometimes they don't come out very quickly mm-hmm. so essentially what we wanted to do with toypedia was to create a, a resource which would have all of this information where toys which were maybe too obscure to be covered in a book because um, printing books obviously cost a lot of money. Sure. Um, so you need to know you're going to have an audience to pay who will pay for the book. Um, we could have we, we can have very obscure toys on there that um, the few specialists can contribute information on. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be updated far more quickly than a paper-based guide because you can update it literally in real time. Yeah, that's the problem I've had with price guides that I've had over the years is that the minute you buy it, it's out of date. Exactly. And this is, I mean, this is especially a problem with, with price guides produced before the, the internet boom. Because right. when eBay opened up the world, um, pretty much, it, it values changed because a lot of toys that were very much in demand in Europe that were maybe primarily sold in the U.S. like Hot Wheels cars. Yeah. Suddenly, you could buy them on the internet. Yeah. And so that completely changed things. And certain things that would have been very desirable in America that were perhaps less desirable in the in Europe 
had been worth less money in Europe because nobody wanted them. But then mm. when the American market came along, suddenly there was a new marketplace. So that changed values quite dramatically. Um, so yes, they, 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 they can, price cuts get affected by things like that. They get affected by also um, things like um, when, as, as people age and they put out and downsize their homes mm -hmm. and they sell off their collections, you can get a situation where items can go down in value because a lot of them come up on the market at once. Right. So for a lot of price cuts don't, don't or can't because of the nature of the way things work, take that into account. Whereas a wiki-based re resource can. Now, are you involved with uh, the Wikipedia folks at all or is this just you've borrowed their, their um, moniker? No, we, we're just, um, we're just, we're like, we're like one of, we're like the many wikis that now operate independently. Um, I mean, there's, there's Wikia, and um, a lot of people set up their own wikis now. So, no, we're not directly involved with Wikipedia. No, I, see, I learn something every week we do this show, that people set up their own wikis. I've never yeah. heard that. It's, um, yeah, it's very popular. I and mean, a lot of um, a lot of TV series fans will now set up their own wikis um, to discuss characters, TV series, things like that. Oh, um, Comics. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, sort of independent wikis out there. God, that is so cool. Now, how will you know if you're when you're finished with your guide? I mean, or is it just something that will go on forever? Ultimately, uh, it'll well, it'll continue as long as people keep making toys. Um, we 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 have estimates on how long it'll take our contributors to get up to the. Uh, we estimate that there's there's a, there are a whole lot of stuff that needs to go in there. I forget the actual numbers, and I don't have them in front of me right now. But there's certainly several million items that could be considered as entries easily um so we will probably be ongoing for a long time and of course things things are still being made so well, as long as there's still hot wheeled cars and there are still dolls being made as long as there's still stuff people want to collect being produced um it's going to keep growing and if uh, our listeners want to add toys to the site what what do they do uh they should go to the site check it out and then contact latoya who is the lady in charge and um she will send them over instructions on, on how they do that it does operate slightly differently to a traditional wiki in that um you can currently edit the toys page but to upload a range of toys for example hot wheels cars um that has to be done by spreadsheet um through by our tech guys because um otherwise it would get a little unwieldy very quickly um, but they should check out the site and drop us an email, and we will be only too happy to have as many volunteers as possible. And how many of you are working on this? Uh, it's a small group of people. Uh, it's, I think we roughly sort of four or five people at the moment. So go to their website at uh, www.toycollector.com yep. to see their incredible collection of toys. I this is like mapping the human genome, if you ask me, trying to catalog every every toy ever made. So I wish you a lot of success. Thank you very much. What a we, fun job. Thank you very much. I mean, we, a lot of people have said, wow, this is like a huge undertaking. Yes. Which it is, but when you look at how fast the Wikipedia grew and what's on there now, I mean, it's pretty much everything is on there now. Um viral spreading of stuff via the internet is just it's the way things are going. So we hope that the, the uptake will be will be huge among the collecting community. Well, I hope that the listeners of The Collector Show uh, enjoy the resource and that you recruit some, some new contributors, Andrew. Well, thank you.
Stay tuned for the Found Collectible of the Week coming up next on The Collector's Show. It's the Found Collectible of the Week segment with our good friend Heather Gallegos. And in keeping with the Toy Collector's website, we have toys that we're going to talk about with Heather. And Heather, welcome. Hi, Harold. Thank you. Now, this week we're talking about Legos as the Found Collectible. That is correct. Now, Legos are the little toy, kind of a building block deal made out of plastic, right? That is correct. Yep, interlocking building blocks. Now, unlike what we talked about um, a few minutes ago during our interview segment, I never played with Legos. You never played with them? No, I don't know why. They just never appealed to me, but they certainly do a lot of other people. Tell us about Lego collecting. Well, Lego collecting is actually quite easy to begin a collection. There's several sources Mm -hmm. that you can start with. Um, eBay is a great source to start out with. There's also uh, Bricks. Brokers. These are people that sell bricks, Lego bricks, and they actually sell them by the pound. Wow. Um, but, you know, Lego is very good at having different sets and different series. Um, their sets are universal across the globe, but then they have different series numbers. So, mm-hmm. And they also have many lines of interest, like Star Wars or Harry Potter. Right. So they've delved into a little bit more of modern culture as well. So if you were wanting to start a collection, you just have to really think about what you were interested in. So if I wanted to just start collecting these bricks, I could buy them and I could build a Star Wars something. Yes, you could. Or and I they c- also have the Star Wars lines. You could buy specific sets of Star Wars memorabilia type of um, Lego kits. And there's people who collect just Star Wars memorabilia, so maybe they would be interested in that. Absolutely. It, anything. Um, you could just collect the regular bricks, too. There's people all over the world collecting the bricks and then making things and mm-hmm. then tearing them down and rebuilding something completely different. So it's like sculpture. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, 55%, and this was one of the facts I uncovered, 55% of Legos are bought for and by adults. What so percent? Other, Sorry, say that again. 55% of all Lego sets are are bought for and by adults. So it's grown-ups are mostly playing with these things. Exactly. A lot of the fan clubs that are out there are adult fans of Legos. They go by the acronym AFOL. Yeah. And they have a website called Lugnet, (laughs) L-U-G-N-E-T. So that's a a site that you could start. Um, That site is full of information. They have guides and databases, message boards, auctions, and even Lego updates. If Lego is going to be discontinuing a series, Mm -hmm. lots of information. So adults collect these things. Now, I know you uncovered information about one individual who has the biggest Lego collection anywhere. Yeah, I guess so. His name is Darren Smith, and he's 33 years old. Right. He lives in England. He has, at this present time, more than 2 million Lego bricks. That's a bunch. That is a bunch. So this article that I found was actually written in night, or in 2008. So right. So he's continued to collect. Um, he buys about 200 sets a year. And the estimated value of its collection is fifty thousand pounds, or wow. more than seventy-four thousand U.S. dollars. That's quite a lot of money worth of Lego collecting. Okay, yeah, I know. That's a lot. Think of think of what else you could do with that kind of dough. <laughs> There's, I could use that for so many things. There you go. I could collect more shoes. 
That yeah. Would make me happy. Collect shoes. Great. <laughs> hey, I like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a shoe collector here in our household as well. I think many households have a shoe collector. Have a shoe collector. <laughs> now, you also found some books about Lego. I did. A couple of books that you may want to look into are the Le- Lego Collector's Guide right. by Michael Steiner, mm-hmm. and it retails for around $70. Okay. There's also 50 Years of the Lego Brick by Christian Humberg. And that's a thirty-dollar book. You know, it's just so interesting that this is two weeks in a row that we've we've talked about toys and how important they are in our culture, not just to play with. And how many adults, like last week when we were talking about Barbie, there were you know so many adult women that collected Barbie. And this week we find out, and I'm going to bet it's mostly men who collect the Lego bricks because guys like to build stuff typically, right? I, I think you're right. Yeah. I think they really tap into that childhood, right? Those memories yep. of your childhood when things maybe were simpler, you didn't have the stress that you do. Mm, maybe this allows people to kind of go back for a moment and just kind of unwind, relax, and, and think of those happier times in their lives. That's so well said. And that was what we were talking about um, earlier with Andrew, talking about recreating childhood through the toy collecting. Now, I want to say one final thing about Barbie collecting. Oh. And um, I know you have three sons. I do. Hence the Legos. They have Legos all over my house. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) so you're familiar with them. And like I said, I didn't play with them when I was little. I don't know why. I just never did. Okay, so during the week last week, we found out that there was a Barbie who came with tattoos. That is correct. Okay, now you have sons, so they don't play with Barbie. But if you had girls, would you let them play with tattoo Barbie? I, You know, I myself don't have any tattoos. Not that I think there's anything wrong with it. Yeah. I just It's not for me. But um, I, I don't think I would. And, and probably the same reason why I wouldn't let them play with the brat style line. Mm-hmm. I just think it promotes a different image than I would want my young girls to be aware of. Right. I think children become so aware of um, our world and, and diversity, which is great. Mm-hmm. But if there's a period of time where I can shelter them from that, then I'm going to try to do that. Especially, there's questions that I don't want to answer. When they start asking, can I get a tattoo? Can I get no. a tattoo? What do you want for your birthday? <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I don't want to have to deal with that yet because it's going to come fast enough. Okay. And yeah. So that, that's my personal opinion. All right. Well, I don't know. I don't have... Uh, I was just much taken aback by the revelation that there's tattoo Barbie. But you know, I mean, we do have to think of the world that we live in. And there are diverse people. There are parents with tattoos. Sure. There would be nothing wrong with that, right? And it would allow their child to then kind of play that kind of adult world. But like I said, kids grow up way too fast. I don't think they need to be in the adult world before they're actually adults. I agree with you. Yeah. We don't have any kids around here either, but no tattoos. No. <laughs> I just think that's a good idea. Yeah, because <laughs> it's forever. Well, yeah, pretty much. That's a commitment. Yeah, that's real commitment. That is. All right. <laughs> Heather, thanks for talking to us again about uh, Legos. You are just the queen of research when it comes to the Found Collectible of the Week. Thanks, Harold. I try. Hey, thanks to everybody for listening again to The Collector Show. Be sure and join us again next week. We're going to be talking with one of the premier comic seller collectors and graders here in North America, all about comic books next week on The Collector Show. So tune in for that. Thanks for listening. Bye for now. 
If I had a million dollars If I had a million dollars Well, I'd buy you some art Thanks for listening to The Collector's Show. See you next week. If I had a million dollars I'd buy your I'd be rich.